We are going to be in Matthew chapter 9, uh, we'll be Matthew chapter 9, part 3 is where we're at. And we're going to be picking up in verse 18. Last week, to end the year, we did the new wine, it goes in new wineskin. We talked about what that means, what that meant contextually when Jesus said it, as far as the old covenant, the new covenant, and how that all works together and being saved by grace, and how the Old Testament was pointing toward that. And then Jesus comes and he fulfills the law and the prophets and, and brings clarity on that. And as we go forward tonight, we go forward from that text. We are in the early portion of his ministry where he's presenting himself as the promised Christ, the Messiah, the promised one of Israel to Israel, the Old Testament, the promised one from God the Father to the humanity that uh, the Redeemer would come to redeem us from our sins. And clearly throughout the Old Testament, we see those prophecies and typologies that we would be saved by grace through faith in the Son, and we get more clarity of that tonight in the text. So as we pick it up in verse 18, we read this after he just finished teaching on new wine and new wineskins. While he spoke these things to them, uh, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him. That's a ruler of the synagogues, it's Jairus, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she had said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. He said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all the country. And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitude marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, said, he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. So these events, they stand unique alone, each one of them, but they are clustered together here with a thematic feel to them in this middle part of Matthew chapter 9. Of course, they all deal with healing. They all deal with miracles. And it's noteworthy that these miracles aren't like believing in God for great wealth or prosperity or those types of things. This, these are miracles for your daughter not to die at the age of 12. We're talking heartbreak in the human experience at the highest level to lose a tweener like that. This is the miracle for you've had a flow of blood as a woman for 12 years, spent all your money with all the top doctors you could possibly find, you have nothing left, and you're worse off than you ever were to start with. Just wanting relief from the pain and the 
being ostracized because of the flow of blood. And she would have been ostracized in various circumstances, not the least of which was a religious gathering. Then you have the two blind men. So we take, it's easy to take for granted being able to see. That's a basic thing that we appreciate. You lose your sight. I can't even imagine what it would be like to lose your sight. I, I've said this many times, but I, I, two of my cousins, Kurt and Kate, were blind. They were born premature, and they were put in an incubator in the 50s, and they were blinded by it. So I grew up with relatives who were both blind, and I used to just be fascinated by how they even did what they did and still do what they do, being blind. And even when I did my mom's memorial in Cleveland a couple of years ago, Katie was there, and we're graveside, and the snow's coming down. It's January, and it's right out of a movie. And there's Katie in her 60th year being blind in the human experience, having never seen so, you know, all of us here tonight can see. So the prayer request from these two blind men is they had a common sorrow together. They're linked together with their common sorrow. And they're, they're begging Jesus to heal them that they might see. Just to really join us in society where we're at when we walk out the doors tonight. Then there's the mute man who can't speak. And we're told there's a demonic element to it. So he can't talk. And you think how frustrating it is for people that can't communicate or even practically like if you're in a foreign language and you want to communicate and you don't know that language and things are lost in communication, how difficult that is. Here's a man who couldn't speak at all and not just not speak, being able to express himself, but a man that's got a demonic element to the control of his life and his tongue and everything else. And on top of that, once he's healed, those religious leaders who are the experts by most people's opinion, they say that his healing was done by the one who serves the devil to cast out a devil. And you'll notice in these stories, the woman with the flow of blood and Jairus' and Jairus's daughter are linked. There's a couple different moving parts to it. Then the two blind men are linked together as well. And then again, the mute man and the, the unbelief of the Pharisees is linked together as well. Now, We'll get the Pharisees on this comment later on in Matthew, so we'll get that on another night and address their blasphemy, their blaspheming of Jesus in this context, because they do it again, and we'll we'll say that in detail. What we really want to look at tonight is the connection of these miracle healings that Jesus did, the things that were said, the dialogue, the actions that took place, the the, the three scenes that are connected together, or really four, and then just the person and the power of Jesus and is our faith there in him. So tonight's message and application really is about that personal faith in Jesus and having faith in Jesus because even as Giovanna was praying earlier that we, we exist to bring pleasure to the Lord. We exist for his good pleasure and all that is focused on the person and the work of Jesus. That's it. That's why we're alive to be saved by Jesus, to serve Jesus, and to bring glory and honor to Jesus and have Jesus come for us on the day of the Lord and take us to glory with Jesus in the eternal kingdom of his Father. That's the purpose of life. Reminded of it last night at the memorial service. Reminded of it today as I got a text telling me that someone I love very much in Chile passed away from cancer today. It just, it's, just, it's life. It's the human experience that we're all involved in, and we are very much aware of it. So... In this context, I do want to point out uh, Jarius. We know that the man, the ruler of the synagogue, his name was Jarius. We know he had one child. 
So not a large family, just one child, one daughter who's 12. And you know, that relationship of fathers and daughters can be so special, and I'm sure it certainly was for him. And it's like daddy's girl. As many of you know, my son-in-law, Nate, and my daughter, Hannah, just had their first child. They were married for almost 10 years, and they're in their 30s, and they waited a while. They've served the Lord. They're all in every day with the Lord in ministry. They waited till the ninth year of their marriage to have their first child, and they had a baby girl, uh, Louise. And she's Louise Dove Gallagher, and she's just a queen. She has a beautiful room that was waiting for her before she came into the world. And as wonderful as the photos are of Hannah with Luis and all that she posts every day, I love it. It's seeing my son-in-law, Nate, with his baby girl. The Gallaghers are four boys, so his parents had four boys. The other boys had all boys, and then here comes Princess Luis. She's the first girl in this whole genealogy of nothing but boys. So she's just, it all, the whole, she's the, the gravitational pull for the Gallagher family in Vero Beach, Florida right now. But you see Nate looking at his baby girl. And you think how much he loves her. I've got a photo when Hannah was born where she's a newborn and I'm looking at her and I'm like 29. I'm just looking at my beautiful baby girl and it's one of the favorite photos of the family. The love of a father for his daughter. And you have this whole journey and now she's 12 and the helplessness and of course being in ministry for 35 years, I've been there for many people who have lost children. It's crushing at the highest level. No matter what generation we live in, no matter how well or how horrible the medical services are, where we live and the timeline that we live, it's just a crushing blow to lose children. Peter the Great, the Russian, great Russian king, lost numerous children, numerous children. They are they just crushed. It was always crushing to him. He died in his 50s, and in his own accounts, the heartbreak of his lost children, and having done graveside for 12-year-olds, you know, 6th graders, having to go into a classroom and tell 3rd graders that their classmate passed away who fainted in the bathroom at Calvary Chapel schools. It happened during recess, and there two hours later with Brian Nixon trying to explain it to the classroom. I just, oh, it's so hard. No matter how powerful you are when you are faced with life and death matters with your children, it's just absolutely crushing at the highest level. One can only imagine Jarius, he had a position of prestige and influence in his community, but when, when death's door is knocking for your daughter, your only daughter, you're, you're crushed. And I do so appreciate his faith, like a Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea, a, a ruling religious leaders who weren't ashamed to identify with Jesus, because he comes to Jesus and it says he worshipped him. That's what death will do. That's what, in, that's what the fear of death and death itself on the door of death will do. It'll humble a man. It'll humble a woman. All the money in the world and all the power in the world means nothing when you feel helpless with your children and their health and potential departure to eternity. He's a desperate man. The irony of this story, of course, is that the woman had the flow of blood the exact amount of time Jarius had his daughter. It's always fascinated me. The other Gospels make clear she had the flow of blood 12 years and Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. So the entire time Daddy's girl was growing up in the synagogue and Daddy's the boss and he's, he kind of tells everyone what to do at the synagogue. He's a ruler. Here's this woman who's excluded 
and expelled from the synagogue because of the identity of a perceived shame from the flow of blood that could not be stopped. As Jairus had been thinking about, like, the money he's going to spend on his daughter for her birthday, she's thinking of where she's going to find more money to possibly relieve the physical pain and the shame that she feels over her flow of blood. This is the reality of these two people in their journey of life. These two women, this girl and this woman, these two females, shared this journey for 12 years. And on this day, with Jesus walking, the two worlds come together right there at that moment. It's an amazing story. The woman, of course, touches Jesus and is healed. And Jesus commends her. The other accounts tell us that he, he was so crowded, he didn't know who did it. And he said, who did this? And she came forth and said, I'm the one. And he said, be of good cheer, daughter. And we talked about this when he raised the crippled man that was brought through the roof. He called him son, be of good, be of good cheer, son. And then here, be of good cheer, daughter. And we just see how Jesus just has a heart for humanity and people. Especially people who are the outcasts and the downcast and ostracized from various things and suffering in very, very private, dark places that who could even understand what it's like unless you've been that person in that situation. But he called her daughter. That's, that's the most amazing thing about this story in the, that he called this woman with the flow of blood in case her parents disowned her, in case her husband abandoned her, gave her a certificate of divorce. On this day, Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, looked at her. Her faith believed she could be healed by touching his garment, and it, she was. And he looked at her and called her daughter. He just elevated her. He brought her to the kingdom, to the family. Such a beautiful story. And then he goes to Jairus' house, and those who mock him don't even face him, and he raises up Jairus' daughter. Such a powerful story. It's amazing. It's worth thinking about in its context. And again, these two blind men, what kind of fellowship did they have being the two blind guys? Like, the, what kind of fellowship did they have in that? How did they approach each day? How did they respond when the religious leaders came by and looked down on them as if their blindness was a curse upon them? For even the apostles said to Jesus in the Gospel of John, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? So the stigma of a curse from God and being blind in this culture. And again, we talked about the mute man. These are the players. And Jesus is the central lead in these stories. Now, as we think about Jesus drawing people to himself, because he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. He is drawing, of course, people to himself. He's presenting himself as the Messiah. And he's preaching the gospel, the good news, and he is the good news. And he's drawing people to himself. So he's not, remember, he's not like a, a religious leader or a philosophical leader like the Greeks had, like Plato and Socrates and these people, or Buddha and Confucius who had come 400 years prior in the East. He's not teaching philosophies of ideas or lifestyles or ideologies. He said before Abraham, I am. He's claiming to be the God of the burning bush. He said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He's not drawing people to... Uh, uh, elevated Ten Commandments or a commentary on the Ten Commandments or a new branch of Judaism. He is drawing people to himself, claiming to be God, that he is God, and that unless they believe he is God, they're going to perish. So whatever the people thought the Messiah was going to be before he revealed himself, they're finding out that this Messiah 
that had been promised to them from Genesis 3.15 all the way through Malachi to this time isn't just the son of David based upon the promises that God made to King David a thousand years before, which of course he is in that sense, but not just the king of the Jews, but the king of kings and lord of the universe. That's what he's showing them even in this story. It's amazing. The gathering of the body of Christ, the gathering of the local church on this day and tomorrow, Sunday morning, the 7th, whenever we gather together, it's so beautiful because a healthy church is always built around Jesus, who he is, what he's done, where he's at, and what he's promised to do, and what he's going to do. So we just have such assurance of that. And there's no world religion, there's no human philosophy that even comes close to it. It's a wonderful thing for me to get up and share verse by verse of the Bible twice a week and lift up Jesus and let him draw people to himself through his word by the power of his spirit. I'm not recruiting for a political party or, an, or a campaign. I'm not trying to sell some new product. I'm not the latest ad in social media. I'm just a messenger of the king presenting the king to people to come to the king. So tonight as we look at this text, we think about our faith in Jesus and these stories that connect all these people to faith in Jesus. The faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. I love how this, it starts with Jesus being worshipped by Jairus, that the ruler would fall down and worship Jesus. And remember, it starts with this ruler worshipping Jesus, and it ends with the Pharisees rejecting Jesus and blaspheming Jesus. And, you know, we do care what people think, and we often care what people think in our peer group. Even though I shouldn't, I care what pro surfers that are 62 think about me when I'm 62. That's my peer group. I shouldn't care that much about what people I haven't seen in 30 years think of me, but we traveled the world together, we lived our dreams together, and I do care what they think about me, more than I'd like to admit. I still want to impress them. That's just how we care what people think in our peer group. But again, when death is knocking at the door of your daughter and you just, you, you don't, when you're desperate, you don't care what people think. When eternity comes, all the fear of man fades away with the reality of the glory of eternity. And that's what we have with Jairus. And so he's focused on the person of Jesus and he's worshiping him. Think about that. This is a religious leader and he's worshiping Jesus, whereas his peers are blaspheming Jesus. Which just shows we all have a choice, don't we? But this, these connected stories start with the person of Jesus being worshipped by a desperate Jarius, and he's all in. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. Then the two blind men really touch on it best when they call Jesus son of David. So the person, we're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. Son of David. Now they could have said Jesus of Nazareth. They could have said Jesus. There's lots of Jesus. His common name It's essentially the equivalent of Joshua in the Old Testament. But they said Son of David. They're all in. See, they're blind. They're ostracized. They don't care what the neighbors think. They are confessing, calling Jesus Son of David. We believe you are the Messiah. We believe you're the one all the way from Genesis through 
Micah and all, all these things, you know, being born in Bethlehem, you're it. What God said to the great King David about his son always reigning on the throne, and that what God said to Jacob that the scepter would never depart from Judah, you're it. We believe it right now, and we are calling you son of David. Just those son of David. That phrase is saying, well, it's like the, new, it's like the good confession it says in Timothy. Like the confession of Jesus before Pilate. The good confession. To keep the good confession. If you confess the Lord Jesus before men, he'll confess you before his father. If you deny him before men, he'll deny you before his father. It's the good confession. They're confessing that no matter what anyone else thinks, they believe this Jesus is the son of David, the promised one of the scriptures. Their faith is in his person as Jerry is worshiping him. In fact, the words of Jairus are amazing. He, he said, he said to Jesus, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. <laughs> that is, that's a, I mean, if you're going to work, like he's worshiping Jesus, God in, a hum, in human form, and he's saying, you can raise my daughter from the dead. That's what he's saying, which we'll get to in a moment for his confidence in the Lord's power, but the person that he actually believes that this isn't just another rabbi rolling around Galilee and, you know, going from synagogue to synagogue. This is one to be worshipped. This is the one who has authority over death. And really, we know Jesus would say after this to Martha and Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. And he, he made those claims that no one else did. So we see this powerful confession in the person of Jesus by Jairus and by the blind man's calling him son of David. Just literally there, the worship and the confession is the person of Jesus. And we think how when John began his gospel, he said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he uses that title for Jesus, the Logos. And then he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So, John, in introducing Jesus to the world in what's called the universal gospel, see, Matthew's is the Jewish gospel, so he starts out with Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David, first verse. But in John's like, John goes universally, he's like, for anyone that's ever lived, every culture, every society, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And all things that were made were made, nothing was made without being made by the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John and his gospel made it very clear from start to finish that Jesus is God, the second person of God's triune nature. And although that's a mystery, it's a truth of his person and who he is. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He is triune in nature. And all the universe reflects it, time, space, and matter, and everything else, spirit, mind, body, all of it. Everything in the universe declares God's triune nature when it's looked at closely. And John made sure that we would always understand when we read the Gospel of John that Jesus is God. He that has seen the Son has seen the Father. I and my Father are one. John made that very, very clear. Paul, when he wrote to Colossians, he said that all things were made by him and for him and through him and in him all things are held together and consist. My wife, when I met her, was a biology major at San Diego State. She took physics class and biology classes. She was going to be a, a veterinarian. And when she came to Christ and she 
read those passages, well, the first thing she did was read a Kenneth handbook on creation versus Darwinism. She read it like, I mean, the first week she got saved. She's like, she read this, she read it. She's like, no, that's a, yeah. She said these two classes never made sense. They contradicted each other, and that was it. But what she said about this phrase for all things are held together by Christ and in him all things are hold, hold together, she said in college they called it atomic glue. That there's no explanation for it, how everything doesn't blow up. So the atomic bomb is splitting the atom and releasing all the dynamic energy that holds the universe together. So it's, it's splitting the atom. That's, that's what that is. And we should all just blow up. There's no reason to explain why we don't just all blow up like atom bombs right now. And when you're going to college at San Diego State in 1987 and you're in the biology physics class, those smart people that think they're really smart said, it's called atomic glue. That's what they called it. The unexplainable reality that things don't just explode. But of course, it's in 2 Peter where the Holy Spirit says to Peter, they will explode. Everything's going to explode. And there'll be a new heaven, new earth. So there's going to be a day when the atomic glue goes boom, boom. And all things are made new. But until then, this Jesus, who Jairus is worshiping, who the womb with the flow of blood is touching, who the blind men are calling son of David, who the mute man is like, this Jesus is atomic glue. He's holding the entire universe together. Because all things are made by him and for him, and in him all things consist. And the Father loves the Son, has committed all judgment to the Son. This is the person of Jesus Christ. When we're singing these songs with Giovanna or Danny Gutierrez on Tuesday and his sister on Saturday, and then Danny Donnelly's coming in, well, we sing these different songs, but the content and the core of every song is Jesus is magnified and glorified. There at the Rom Romanian memorial last night for Sam's dad with hundreds standing room, only hundreds of people praising Jesus in Romanian, I'm, the, I was looking at the Romanian words. I'm like, okay, that means glory. And, you know, because I like languages. So I'm immediately picking up, okay, this is this, this is that, and that's got to be faith. And, and so, and they're just singing, you know, to hear hundreds of people in a foreign language proclaiming Jesus as Lord. His person at a memorial for a patriarch in their community was unbelievable. It, I just kept crying. It didn't matter who was up there. The message of the preacher preaching Romania, like, Ooh. then the guy, the guy in English was incredible. I was like, Ooh. you know, and the grandkids singing praise songs is, I just couldn't stop. Everything made me cry. Not out of sorrow, but out of beauty. Because in him all things are made and held together. By him and for him and of him. And nothing was made that wasn't made by him. And he became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is atomic glue. The one who holds the whole universe together touching and meeting people in their world at the the people who are the outskirts and the outcasts of society he's meeting them right where they're at it's the, his person and they're drawn to him and they're worshiping him and they're grabbing onto his coat and they're they're calling him son of david and they're praising god because he is god this is that jesus the person of jesus christ is the foundation of saving faith it's who he is. Savior is his name. And he's God. If he wasn't God, he can't save us. He has to be God. If he's not God, he's a man. And a ma all men die for their own sins. And they can't die for someone else's sins. He's God. Only one greater can pay that price. And he paid it for all of us. That's the person of Jesus Christ. The whole universe revolves around Jesus 
because it is made by him and for him. So when you think of a trillion galaxies, which is mind-bending, but there are trillions of galaxies, all these trillions of galaxies, the expanding universe under the curse of sin, even as it expands, it all comes to planet Earth and God sending his son on this planet. So whatever else is out there in this universe, known or unknown, know this, the center of the universe is planet Earth because this is where God's son where God made Adam in his image and sent the second Adam, his son, in the image of man to die for us, to redeem us, and restore us back to him. And the sin on this planet affected the whole universe, and the salvation on this planet there at Calvary affects the entire universe as well. Isn't that beautiful? This is that Jesus, WG, body of Christ. That's who we believe in. That's who we confess. That's who we're trusting on the highest mountaintop and in the lowest valley and the last breath of time, space, and matter. That's who we're trusting in. Our faith isn't in a philosopher or a religious teacher. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ, the almighty God who conquered the grave on behalf of all humanity and those who are willing to receive him as their Lord and Savior. I do not fear death. I got to tell you, when I go to memorials for believers, I'm just like, man, it's like, a, it's like a, the rose parade for believers, you know? Like, this is awesome. It's like this thing, that thing, these people, this singing, this song, the orchestra, oh, the orchestra, man, the orchestra was incredible. The orchestra, I told Jennifer, forget all of my favorite worship leaders at my memorial, just get the Romanian orchestra. <laughs> it was just, I, I couldn't stop crying. It was, I was just like, the power they were playing Amazing Grace. It was beautiful. They were skilled. It was a big orchestra. Man. It's all true. See, I, for three hours, this service went on, and everything about it was true because it was all built around the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who he is, the person, and the confidence for everyone in that room. It was awesome. Never forget who we're gathered around when we come here on Tuesdays and Saturdays. Never forget who is the anchor of your faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's People can come join us on the Jesus glory road or they can mock us or whatever, but man, we're going to glory because our faith is in the person of Jesus. It's who he is. Now, the second thing we see is faith in his power because we see there that in verse 28, I love it when Jesus asks questions. And he says here in verse 28, when you come to the house, the blind man came and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Now, we have no record how he, with the mute man. He may have said to the mute man, do you believe I can heal you? And he might have gone like this. He might have just healed the mute man. We know when we look at the miracles of Jesus, he just did some, he just did them. And when he healed blind people, he didn't always heal them the same way, right? Like the mud, the spit. I see, I see people like trees. Like, there's no set, because he's God. And there's a purpose in everything he does, the way he does it. But I just love how he says to these blind men, do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. They, they believed. Faith in his power. So the faith is in his person. He's God of the universe. But faith in his power. I, I am able to do this. We believe he is able to do this. 
And, you know, a healthy faith in Jesus is the faith that's eternal. And it, we reference Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego there in Babylon. When King Nebuchadnezzar, they wouldn't bow down and worship the, the, the idolatrous image he made of himself as Jews in the Old Testament. They refused to bow down and worship it. And he said, you know, if you don't worship it, I'm going to cast you in the fire. And who, who, who is the God that can deliver you from the fire? Nebuchadnezzar, arguably, even to this day in human history, certainly one of the five most powerful men that ever lived in human history. The Babylonian Empire is incredible, like what they did, what they accomplished, what we know about it. And he was the zenith of the Babylonian Empire. And he said, who is the God that is able to deliver you? And they said, listen, our God is able... Able? Do you believe I'm able to do this? Our God is able to deliver us from this fire. So it's a confident faith. They know that God can deliver them from the fire. They have no doubt about it. Those three guys, those Jews that were set apart for the Lord there in Babylon, they just were 100% convinced that God could deliver them from the fire. But the balance of the health of their faith is they said, but even if he doesn't, just know this, that we will never worship your idols. See, that's a healthy faith. Because we want to have believing faith in the power of God, but we need to realize we're under the sovereignty of God. And we need to understand, some of us are destined to live 30 years, some of us are destined to live 90 years. That's the purposes of God. If you're meant to live 30 years, then you need to be diligent and faithful about the Father's business and redeem the time. If you're going to live 90 years, hey, pay attention to 60, because the next 30, you're setting yourself up for who you're going to be at 90, so make sure you set yourself up right with obedience to the Lord and sanctification to the Lord. See, again, these healings are not about prosperity and wealth that can be redistributed, fought over, or lost in a court case with probate court. These requests for power in this context of these, these stories are for sight, for a life to be saved, and to be able to speak. And for healing from the flow of blood. These are not temporal wealth building things these are just to live life and we say this when you get older good health is the number one thing you really aspire for when once you get older to be pain free and, and be healthy it's just so high because we all know if you're in pain and you lose your health that it just train wrecks the rest of your life nothing else matters when pain is so profound you can't enjoy anything all the wealth in the world all the pleasure there is no pleasure when the pain supersedes the pleasure so that's some of these the context of being able to see I had the flow of blood, the pain, the discomfort. Who can't even know what kind of discomfort this woman had from that? I can't even imagine. And so healthy faith is knowing the person of Christ, having our faith, looking into Jesus to author and finish our faith, and knowing he is able. He can do this. He can heal this person. He can heal this. He can do that. He can do anything he wants. He can put the coin in the mouth of the fish. He can part the Red Sea. He, he can coagulate. The Pacific Ocean, if he wants us to walk to Hawaii, he can do whatever he wants. He's Lord of everything. In the request being made to him in these passages, we know in his life on earth, Jesus demonstrated his authority over every realm of anything we understand. Defilement, death, the physical laws, when he walked on water, all these things, casting out the demons, the defilement of leprosy, death itself, bringing forth resurrected people from the grave. He has the final authority. He can do it. So like Meshach, Sarek, and Abednego, we say, we, our God is able. But we also know, no matter what, when you get to 90, you look like you're 90. 
You can make 60 look 40, and you can make 70 look 55, maybe. 80, you look 70. 90, you pretty much look 90, no matter what you do. At least that's my perspective. What I've seen in the human experience, I've never seen a 90-year-old that looks like a 70-year-old. I've seen 70 that looks like 50, but I've never seen 90 that looks like 70. And that's okay, because that gray hair is a crown of glory for those who've lived the life of glory and are going to glory. And this is just a, 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 this terrestrial must put on celestial. This, this earthly is going to put on heavenly. This mortal is going to put on immortality. So that's okay. And though the outward woman or man is perishing, the inward woman or man is being transformed from glory to glory. So you see it in the eyes. So you see the glory in the eyes. You see the glory in the eyes. Because that's the soul. And Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the soul. And the soul has eternity. And the soul with faith in Jesus is going to glory. So we believe that God can do anything. He can deliver us from the fire. He can work out this financial problem. He can give favor with this judge. He can do the custody the way we want it to go. He can resolve these trust disputes. He can get me the job I want, get me in the college I want. He can do all these things. He can open the barren womb. He can do all that, and he certainly has and will continue to. But in the end, we're all going to step into eternity. One of those interesting verses of the Old Testament where it says of Elijah, the great miracle worker, you know what it says? Elijah got sick and he died. Yeah, he got sick and he died. We can't win the battle against the laws of the universe from sin. We will all age and we will all eventually die unless we're there when the Lord calls back his church and he comes for us in glory. But otherwise, we know that this is where we're going we're gonna to experience that. But that's where the faith, our faith isn't limited to time, space, and matter. It triumphs the temporal because our faith is eternal and it's going to glory. Our faith is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we have our faith in the right person and we have our faith in his power and we know he can do it. And, and as I think about these things, looking even at 2024, and we think about, I think about my personal life and my marriage, my children, my grandchildren, seeing all those grandchildren sing at the memorial yesterday, seeing the adult children sharing and eulogizing their dad. Of course, I'm going to be thinking about my own end. Wouldn't you be? Like, I mean, when you get older and you go to memorials, you think about your memorial. I mean, am I the only one that thinks that? I mean, I'm always like, but I'm always thinking like, I just think like my, I, I know it's like, it's like saying goodbye in the airport to someone who's taking their flight on that plane and your gate's over here. I'm saying goodbye to them, but I know, my, I know that my flight's boarding soon. I think like that. Faith is a daily disposition of believing God for great things. Not the great things that people fight over or get left behind, but believing God for the great things of the kingdom and the power and the glory and the miraculous where he is glorified and he is lifted up and he's drawing all men to himself. It was so humbling to see, to, to be aware that all six of John Coca, I think the Romanian name is the equivalent of John in English, but Sam's dad's, just that all those kids are walking with the Lord. And, and just the, the beauty of it was just amazing. I mean, some of us were just trying to get our kids to go to church, right? Right? I mean, you, you can't make people walk with the Lord. You cannot make adult kids walk with the Lord. That's, that's just a fact in human history. And all the great men and women of God know that. 
So what I saw last night was like, wow. Here's this man that swam across the Danabi River with men shooting at him to escape communism from Romania. One of the people he swam with didn't make it. To give his children freedom of choice and freedom of religion in this country. This guy was a giant of a man. He swam to Yugoslavia where Tito was the president of another communist country with a one in 20 chance to come to America. And he got that one in 20 chance. Two years later, his wife with the kids came here and he built a life from nothing in Orange County. And to see the fruit of a church this size, completely full, standing room only, was just realizing how you really want the impact of your life to be. What real faith is, real faith isn't like the wealth that's being left behind tangibly. They, they talked about how he built his own house for $14,000 back in the day. The communists took everything from them. The communists took their cherries from their cherry tree. The communists took the meat from their uh, livestock. The communists made them, give them rides for hundreds of miles against their will. I've heard the stories from Sam. The communists beat physically and punished and put in jail his grandparents who loved the Lord. And here's this man in eternity in his 60s and now and what he left behind and you see the faith and the fruit of the faith. You don't see a lot of possessions being left behind. You see real fruit. Faith transferred from generation to generation. It'd be great if God delivers us from the fire. It means more time to serve him until we step into eternity and go higher. But know this, if he doesn't deliver us from the fire, we are not bowing down to you. See, that's conviction of character. So we see it's all about the person of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ. Our God is able, Ephesians 3.20 tells us that our God is able to do above and beyond all that we could think or ask within us, working through us for his glory in the church. So we, it's a disposition, it's a lifestyle, it's a, it's a character that we wake up and we believe God can do this. He can raise the dead, he can heal this person's cancer, he can solve this issue, he can make enemies friends. We believe that, and you should, and you should go, you should be, we should be men and women of total positive disposition based upon the promises of God and looking unto Jesus, author and finish our faith. So touch his tassel, let him touch your eyes, open your mouth. And if he doesn't, that's Okay. Because he's the master of the universe and lord of the universe, and he's working all things together for good to those who love him or are called according to his purpose. And that's the bigger picture here. He's, he's bigger than our worst fear. We're going to see this with Job. He's greater than our worst trial. He's with us in the lowest valley. He's above the highest mountain. We can trust Jesus from here to eternity, that's for sure. And so we're reminded tonight as we look at 2024 and think about what our life is about and who we are and the challenges we're facing and, and what we're doing. I just think of Sam starting a new year doing a eulogy for his dad. His dad passed away like a week before Christmas. So on December 10th, Sam was shopping for Christmas stuff just like you and me for his kids. And he starts the new year eulogizing his dad in the first week and graveside today putting his dad in the ground for the first week of the new year. See, we just never know what life's going to bring us, do we? But we know that God is above all that, and we know that through faith in the person of Jesus and the power of Jesus, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we want to be faithful and fruitful until it is our time. 
in our time. I'm not asking for more time than he wants to give me, and I don't want to settle for any less time than what he's determined for me. Our days are in his hands. So we choose wisely. We choose to worship like Jarius. We choose to confess that Jesus is the son of David. And we certainly give limited space and no place for people who blaspheme the Lord Jesus to influence our thoughts, our lives, or our actions like these Pharisees. Or the mockers in the house. Jesus is saying, just put them out. Just put the mockers out. Just put them out. And those blasphemers, just, just walk right by them. Looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Yes and amen.